It's the WOCast and you have to take a listen Full of insight that you may be missing in the WOCast Always giving you the blueprint, different interviews Plus bringing you exclusives, the WOCast We provide you with the coverage, gym to the cage worldwide We got you covered with the WOCast If you snooze, you lose For all your MMA news and views, it's the WOCast Powered by WOTV.com With your host, Michael Morgan and Mike Steve WOCast Always making trouble Mother lovers. Hi, I'm Michael Morgan, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wocast. I'm joined, as usual, by my Cody, the voice of milk chocolate velvet or silk chocolate velvet. Uh, it's chocolate velvet cake, bruh. Any, just go into your local Sainsbury's, go to the cake aisle, yeah, pick up a chocolate velvet cake. Make sure it um, tastes the difference, though, and close your eyes and imagine that cake talking to you. This is exactly what it would sound like, mother lovers. Forever plugging Sainsbury's there. I have to say, we've got a uh, pretty packed show for you. Starting off with Nathaniel Wood, who um, the current uh, Cage Warriors champion, we'll be speaking with him. Also, Dominic Wooding, who returns to action at Bama 34. And finally, ending up with the legend, the man, the myth, Brad Pickett. But before all that, Mice, I have to say, Watching your Instagram stories, having a look at your Twitter, as usual, you've been a man of action, you've been a busy man. I have to keep reminding myself, I have to say, that you are a very busy veteran of the uh, hip-hop game. I mean, just fill us in, what have you been doing recently? Um, Of recent, uh, I've been basically in the studio, just working, working, working on um, some new material. So like, yeah, obviously a few people, I was surprised actually, a few people hit me up and was like, yo, where's the MMA wrap up? Like commenting on the, uh, the videos and that. But um, basically there was a mix up with the timings in terms of uh, the producer Keith Price being about. And then also it, I just had so much on that it felt like uh, he wasn't going to be available in the sort of time frame that we wanted to do it. Um, obviously, obviously getting the video done and all that is a next uh, mission. So I was like, you know what, maybe I should just use this to get my next material sorted out. So at the moment I'm finishing off a mixtape, Tip of the Iceberg, Volume 3, because uh, I've done two previous volumes, but they've been a while ago. So this is all going to be original material, um, not like, hey, this is me on so-and-so's beat or me on so-and-so's beat. It's all going to be original material and I'm looking to release that in spring. And then also working on an album with uh, Keith Price, with the producer of the Wellcast intro, as well as uh, the, um, the two MMA wrap-ups we've done. And um, that's a project called The Giant Leap. So first of all, we'll just get the mixtape stuff sorted uh, for springtime. And then uh, the next step will be The Giant Leap. Do you like how I did that? The next. That's pretty, pretty slick. I like the way that you made the distinction as well, that this isn't just a mixtape of you jacking beats. When people make that distinction, they're either A, showcasing up-and-coming producers, B, obviously, um, showcasing uh, established producers. I just wanted to just throw this in there as well. Do you think that there is something to be said of um, people who put out mixtapes with other people's beats? Because obviously, you've got a captive audience already because they are familiar with the music. I think, um, for me... Because like I'm not like a one style type rapper, I'm a, you know I do some comedic comedic stuff or do some more thoughtful deep stuff. I like to tell stories as well. So in terms of production, I'm not like 
you know, obviously, like, I'm more into the traditional style as opposed to, like, the synthetic style, um, trap or whatever. But at the same time, if it moves me, if it's something that I feel suits my voice or suits um, the style that I want to rap in, then I'll jump on it. So I'm not too fussy about um, producers or style of production as such. But on this um, mixtape, I did make an effort to sort of put producers on that hadn't you know they haven't really got a big name so Keith Price is one of them obviously doing an album with him made sense and I thought you know some of the tracks could go on the mixtape as opposed to on the album um, and then also I've got a guy called Logan who I linked up with online um, and he he's provided me with like three or four beats off the mixtape and then there's a few other producers that I'm working with so most of them are not they're not known producers there might be one guy pitch I'm still actually pitch when you're ready to send that beat, bruh. <laughs> but other than that, nah. And then a couple other features. And I've tried to make it so the features as well are people that I think should get a bit of spotlight. So yeah, all in all, that, and I want to try and do it every year now, the mixtape, just to make sure that I, I've, there's something consistently coming out other than the album uh, projects. I've tagged you in, actually, um, on Twitter to a new guy who I kind of discovered recently. Works uh, quite a lot with um, Joker Star. His name's Point Five XL. What do, what do you think of his material? I mean, if you recall, um, I sent you two of the tracks: one Hulk Smash that Joker Star um, featured on, and the other, the Six Million Dollar Man. I mean, I'm not sure if you you remember. Um, Is he the producer or the artist that? Point five XL is the actual producer. Joker Star is the uh, the artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I saw it as Joker Star, I didn't realise. But yeah, his production is crazy, man. Definitely enjoyed that. Yeah. How do you know him? Only because um, I follow Joker Star on um, SoundCloud. So of the latest tracks that he's posted up there, Six Million Dollar Man being one of them, and the other being um, Hulk Smash, both of them produced by Point Five XL. So I started to follow. Um, 0.5XL on Twitter and I notice what he does is he puts up video mashups to kind of tracks which he's reworked, reflipped of 80s tracks and that's my era, 80s tracks basically I mean that's how I got to know him, that's how I, I wouldn't say I know him, that's how I got to follow him and to follow his work and I really really like what he's doing because he's working with ages and ages and ages ago um, I used to be just like yourself, a, a budding, well, just like yourself. I, I used to be a budding artist. And I, I used to work with the IMPC, um, the Akai, uh, and this was like the hardware version. He works with the iPad version, but he's cranking out tracks like he's in a 24-track studio. Mm, that's crazy. So it's a whole different, yeah. Uh, it's a ball game that I think um, the thing about it is it's not what you use, it's how you use it. You know, um, I know people like say Skits, for instance, you know, Rodney P and Skits, Skits, he's still like, uh, I might be wrong, but he's still like using S950 or something like that, you know, but he knows how to work it. And that's why his production sounds the way it is. Now there are people moving, you know, from the machine to the Renaissance MPC. Uh, that's like a hybrid, you know, you can work, it, it can link up with your computer and whatnot. Um, so I, I honestly think it just depends on the the producer and what they you know how deep they get into their piece of their hardware or software uh, um, different producers work with different things and i always ask i'm always asking like what do you use because i just find it surprising you know i'm from an era where everyone was on the sp or um mpc i should say mpc more so but also you had the sp because it was the hardware you know it was like the, the um, crunch you get that snap that people are looking for on the drums 
Um, so yeah, I'm always interested in what people are using. There's someone that I'm working with where most of their stuff is on Cubase, is on a computer, but you wouldn't know it by listening to it. You'd think it was some NPC business, you know? So I'm always interested in that, man. When I started uh, listening to you first, I, I, I had you in the same era as um, Rodney P, the Demon Boys, um, Hijack. But you're going to tell me now that you came after that. I, I see you kind of like a, as an old school artist, not sort of like new school. In terms of your sound, I, I, are you more old school or would you say you're in with the, the new crowd and these mumble rappers? Because I don't really see that. I see you more of the lyrical dexterity, flows, um, uh, punchlines, things which people can understand and relate to. Do you know what's crazy? It's crazy you saying like, say in Rodney P and people like, I remember my babysitter playing London Posse. Yeah. And so it's weird for me, but, but and I'm going to get to why I think you probably feel like that. But for me, so it's like, man, I'm looking up to, you know, the ties, Black Twangs, um, obviously Rodney P, you know, even Jest and Task Force. They, before I came out, they were already putting material in. I'm listening to these guys like, right, okay. Um, the guy that influenced me the most in terms of like UK would be MCD because he's from West London his voice was West you know it wasn't like trying to sound American and he was probably the apart from say Bionic or something like that he was the first guy where I was like wow that's like that's an English accent rapping but sounding slick you know it doesn't sound forced and it not too yardy not too cockney it was just you know what I mean he was talking like how we talk but um you know, I only really started working on the craft, like, seriously from about 97, 98 or something. See, for me, <clears throat> that was just past what I considered to be the golden era where they had the Demon Boys. Basically, the musical life stable where you had Demon Boys, you had Hard Noise, you had Hijack. But I grew up on all of that. So I think, well, and this is what I was going to lead to. So for me, when I say working on the craft, I hadn't released anything yet. But I, I, I was like, okay, I need to work on keeping my voice, you know, pardon me, having something to say, whether, you know, the punchlines, the funny stuff, the, whether it was social commentary, um, having all of that, but sounding natural. And um, I still feel like I probably, was, I came out a bit prematurely. I can listen to old stuff now and be like, man, you were shouting, you know, your voice was all over the place, you know, this and that. But because I was getting so pushed, uh, you know, I was doing shows off of the one single off of Kiss the Ask Goodnight, which came out the end of 99, December. And um, from there, people were like, yo, can you do a show here, do a show there? And I had, so I had two songs. One of them has got two other people featuring on it. So really, I got one point, you know, one and a quarter songs. And then I ended up having to do tunes. The rest of the 15 minutes would be me rapping on other people's beats with songs that I'd written, but I hadn't found a beat for or something like that, you know. Um, but so I felt like a little bit like I was getting pushed in one well, in hindsight like I got pushed in a bit early but it was because I came with that attitude of you know the stuff that got me going the reason why I started rapping was look I'm show you the scar now that's on my neck basically I had to have a tracheostomy there wow that, that, that does sound like a career ending kind of operation yeah, before I even had the career starting, it was like you, you could die. Before all of this, though, I'd, I'd always been messing around with, with MC. And from the age of like 13, 14, and you know, so it was rapping, obviously hearing like, um, who can I say, the hijacks and the gunshots and all them. I'm thinking, oh man, you know, I wish I could do this. And then 
you know, hitting the streets. Then we got Jungle came in. Jungle felt like it was our hip hop because we had the MCs and this and that. But then realizing, no, uh, people don't care what you, you're saying. It's just bit of bit of bit of bit And then the, my love for hip hop came back again. But more so, it was like understanding what it is now. This is this is obviously 96 97 98 you know the era of the golden era is kind of leaving but there was that sound in hip-hop where it's like ah i love this you know muddy waters you know the roots illadelf half-life that these sort of albums that were like really influencing me and and uh, molding that kind of sound but at the same time knowing that i need to sound like me i always felt weird when people like yo i blast through and ask you oh pick up the phone hi mom how you doing i always thought that was a bit strange so it never felt natural to rap in an american accent but i knew in order for me i had friends laughing at me when i was like yeah i'm gonna rap you're gonna rap in an english accent i was like yeah and they're just like whatever but then lo and behold years later i look at the dizzy rascals and you know count the streets countless people using their own um, voice and whatnot but i think that because i'd been influenced from that um you know the hard noise the gunshots the um that kind of brick core sound as well as the the 90 you know the tr traditional 90s sort of um us hip-hop sound i think that kind of carried through into so me knowing i need to be saying something i don't want to just rap for the sake of rapping i want to either entertain you take you away from where you are for the moment uh, making sure the live show is there as well. I, I go to see people perform and I'm like, oh, that's how you do it, you know? All these things are kind of culminated and then it's a thing of you, like I know for some people, my sound is more traditional. I prefer to say traditional because you got all these different schools. You got 70s old school, 80s old school, 90s old school. So if you say old school, people be like, a hip hop, a hip it, you know? Where it's not necessarily that. I've been doing it near, it'll be 20 years soon. But the fact that uh, I've kept it, um, to a level that's like, for me, I feel timeless. I want to make music that when I'm 80, I'm not going to listen to it and go, yeah, well, you know, that I made a lot of money doing that, even though it sounds a bit... I want to be able to go, yeah, this is me. Play it to the grandkids, like, yeah, this is what granddad did, did you know? I want them to be proud of it, as opposed to just like, yo, I was rich back then, though, you know, and yeah, and all that. I, I don't really... It, I never got... In, I got into it, so me showing you that scar, just to show you that I thought I was going to die. When they said, yeah, you could have died or whatever and then recovering for about two three years from this i was like you know what i'm going to try and do this thing for real and so this was after i've worked in sainsbury's mum has cleaned me up you're going to go to work and did the worked in sainsbury's did all this and that you know for a year or whatever then decided got ill then decided you know what i'm going to go for this music thing for real and then just persevering i got into it because i was happy to still be alive i was like yo i'm still here i'm enjoying life in the UK hip-hop world, I was hearing people like, yo, we don't get no love, you know, the fire in my eyes did it. I was like, people don't want to hear that, they want to hear this. And it's worked for me ever since, do you know what I mean? I mean, just on uh, people and their lamentations, I remember, again, we're talking way over, like 20-odd years ago, it being a scene which was, whilst it was collegiate, there was competition whilst there were people who wanted to sign you they were cutthroats has that actually changed are we still looking at clicks and people who kind of like just team up with a certain um list of people because of politics with a small p and is there still the backstabbing nature of 
the record companies and they are basically out to rip the heart out of your music and your talent before they actually dispatch you off the label probably to be honest probably that i mean i think there's always going to be in every industry there are going to be sharks that are there to try and get what they can out of it and not too bothered about you know the the creators of whatever business or work it is so uh, you know it's especially when it's when it's to do with being creative you're it's not just like unless you're just doing it just to, to make money there's some soul there's some heart put into it and so there's obviously some emotion put into it and where it gets all messy is that you taking it to a label that's a business they're not there to be your friends they're there to make money off of you with you to a certain extent but they want to make money off of the product that you're um giving them and so it's hard for the artist to differentiate that though and then when you feel like what they don't you know they don't even care you send something and then you don't get no reply and you know things like that can really get to you and i think it just takes for a little while for you to understand that that's the nature of the business and that's always going to be the nature of the business you can't take it to heart or you can't take it um, too personal even though it's not easy to do it's not easy to not take it personally but that's something you learn gradually um, with the business and I think it's always going to continue like that because we have this capitalist you know way of living anyway you've managed to evolve not only the way that you um, not only the way that you approach your music because your music doesn't sound like it did say 10 15 years ago the way that you approach lyrical um, subjects or, or approach subjects as well again that's sort of like i've I, I seen that there's an evolution there do you think that there is something that has actually kept you moving forward is it a case of that's just you as a progressive mc that's the way that you actually um, operate i'll tell you why i asked this question because i was listening to case lies album and it sounds like it was basically released in 1994 now it doesn't seem to be any evolution there. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I just think that progression is where it's at because that keeps you active as an MC. It keeps you relevant, but more importantly, it shows your skill. I mean, first of all, what school are you in? Have I got? Have I pitched it right? Have I got it completely wrong? You tell me. Um, in ter- when you say school, um, do you mean in terms of era or? So for me, I came out like you know. Th- 2000s i feel like 2000 is my era where people started to know who i was and i started to make a name for myself but i think in order you know in terms of with music because it's so subjective like if you want to i've always found it funny when we you know we moved on to this sort of say let's let's put it into terms of you know you had the death squad era which was like what mid to late 90s then you got the era of say um what's his name, Uh, Dipset era, you know, which was like the noughties, yeah, more 2000, more bigger sound, more, you know, heavy sample on, you know, it'd be like just a different sort of sound, but you know that sort of era. And I think the people that just, if you carry on evolving with each era, not necessarily like having to change to fit, so, oh no, you know, people I think always feel like only kids buy music, so you you got to appeal to the kids, you got to appeal to the kids. They forget though that, Look at someone like Michael Jackson. 
It's like kids all now, people, what's the first thing they'll play to their kids? It's probably Michael Jackson music. Because why? Because it's so, you know, you remember when you were a kid and how much you could relate to it. And I want to rock with you, you know, all of that. Kids just love it because it's music that they can, it's not too, um, even though there's jazz in a lot of the, the stuff, you know, the Quincy Jones stuff, it's not too hardcore. It's not too much to take in. Do you know what I mean? And I, I feel like for me, when I started noticing that, oh, people like, they like when I said that, or they liked the way this verse was done, or they liked this song, the way it was written, you start putting trust in yourself. As long as I'm feeling it, like I have a, a filter, you know, or a threshold of if this is good or bad. As long as I'm feeling it like, yeah, I'm proud of this, then I'm, I'm confident enough that my fans will be into it as well. And I think that's probably what's kept me sort of in that, realm of and as obviously keeping the integrity there in terms of writing like you know a lot i got there's loads so many mcs that you know behind the scenes would be like yo you influenced me on this or you you and they're like well-known battle rappers or well-known artists that are left right and center and so to me that makes me know that okay people listen to me the only thing like i've said to you before is annoying when it's just mainly mcs because mcs all of a sudden now they feel like yeah yeah well i'm just as good as you are and they they're not the ones coming to your shows and buying all your music and whatnot um but i, I think in terms of um just staying in the sort of in the limelight you just got to create stuff that people can appreciate and so don't rush it you know try and put your all into it uh, and you know do your best It's a pleasure to welcome to the Worldcast, Nathaniel the Prospect Wood. Why are we still calling you the Prospect? I mean, come on, let, let's do away with this title now. Well, it's been there from day one, you know, and it's it seems to stick. I think a lot of people know who the Prospect is, but they don't actually know me myself. So I think for now, you know, I've got to stick with it. I suppose one of the things, you know, um, it will be great to start off with. Look, we're back at Titan Gym, and the last time we were here, yeah, you were holding up your trousers with a different set of belts. Now, fast forward to 2018, how does it feel to, you know, be brandishing that strap now? It feels amazing, you know. Uh, I would say it sounds a bit cliche, but it is a dream come true. You know, I can say that I'm a world champion. I've defended it um, with one of the biggest promotions there is outside the UFC. Um, you know, but I'm not done yet, you know, there's still uh, a lot more for me to achieve. So, you know, I'm going to keep on grinding away and uh, get, get, get the next one done. I mean, speaking of grinding away, um, it looks like you're grinding away at your coach's patience and, uh, well, basically um, putting them on Fear Street. I have to say, of the last two fights, it looked as though either you were um, waiting to be woken up or you just wanted to keep your coaches on the edge of their seats. I mean, just in terms of a strategy, was that actually part of the game plan? Because it looked as though, you know, your coaches looked a little bit kind of worried. No, for the, for the last one, you know, the game plan was to hit and don't get hit. And uh, got hit is what, what happened, you know. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think going into that last one, I was slightly overtrained, a little bit tired, you know, from just constant training camps. And I wouldn't say I underestimated him, you know, but I didn't really quite take into consideration that these are four-ounce gloves and you get hit and that can be the game-changer. And, you know, I got caught, but, you know, it was good for me to come back from that and see how I would react to it. And, you know, in the end, got the win. 
So like on a, cause that fight was like, whoa, you know, I started sweating watching it. And I, after I was thinking about the fact that you, um, somehow you pulled through, like there was moments where it looked like, uh oh, like you might be gone. On a scale of like one to 10, where one is, you know, sleep, 10 is like, you know, Alex Jones, Joe Rogan woke, like where were you? Uh, when, it, when it looked like it might be done, whereabouts were you? And how did you get back from that? What, what, like, what did you draw from within to just come back out? I would say I was in the middle, you know, the first shot that he caught me with, which when I look back, I still don't actually know what it was. That rocked me, you know. Um, but the other shots when I was covered up and it was more just pushing me around, you know, I was dazed and I just needed to get my bearings straight. But it was kind of like being on a roller coaster, you know, it was pushing me around and I wasn't quite sure where I was. But, you know, I was there the whole time and with that crowd there, you know, he would have to put me out to get me to stop. And you were also smiling whilst you're blocking these punches coming from left, right, left. Like, what are you thinking then? Because I'm always like, how are you still smiling when, you, you know what I mean, you're nearly falling asleep there? You know, I remember just thinking, like, I remember just thinking, shit, there's no way that I'm coming out and getting, you know, put out like this. Before I come out, I saw a lot of, uh, there was some footage of the crowd and it was kicking off a lot. So, you know, I was sitting there thinking, right, I've got to do, got to do my country proud, you know, go out there against the Welshman and uh, come out with the win, you know. And uh, to go out there and potentially almost the fight getting stopped in the first minute, you know, against me. You know, I thought, no, there's no way, you know, I just had to keep on pushing through and, you know, and overcome adversity, as I like to say. Sure did, bruv, definitely, bro. It's kind of funny, that leads into one thing which I'm really interested in your take on. A lot of people were putting, um, how can I put it, a bit of store by this notion that the corner should have really the right to throw in the towel. What's your kind of like take on it, considering it did look to a certain extent that you were in trouble and it looked as though you were getting lit up on the feet. What do you think about, you know, the possibility of either introducing the fact that the corner can actually throw in the towel as part of the rule set or just, you know, your whole take on, you know, fighters actually being the, how can I put it, the, uh, the well, the deciders of who decides when the fight is over and who decides when it's not. If I'm honest, I thought the cornerman could throw in the towel. You know, I didn't know that they couldn't actually do that. Um, you know, usually I'd like to think that the referee is professional and knows when to stop the fight. But I have seen some fights, you know, where you think, man, is this ref going to stop the fight? Um, in cases like that, you know, I think, yeah, it should be right for the cornerman to throw in the towel. Um, I think I even seen a fight where the guy was put to sleep and the cornerman had to jump over the cage to stop the fight because the ref wouldn't stop it. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think the cornerman should be able to throw in the towel. And if the fighter, if the fighter has a cornerman that throws in the towel too early, you know, he hasn't got the right people in his corner. He should have the guys that know what he can go through and know how hurt he is. That makes sense, man. Um, I wanted to ask you about, um, you, like you mentioned before, about you felt that like you overtrained, like you were in the gym a bit too much um, coming up to the fight. And obviously, I feel like since we spoke was the just before the Vaughn Lee fight, right? Um, you did really well in that one, that, and then the next two um, were were they more or less first or second round finishes? But obviously, they, you know, they you get over them quite quickly. But like you said, the training part is where you know, you feel like maybe overworked, overtaxed. And how much of that training is you developing something new? Because I felt like every fight I watched, you know, Von Lee, then the next guy, it felt like there was a little pattern of something new that you'd, you know, whether it's the inside um, leg kick or, you know, stuff like that. So how much of it would be you working on some new technique or just you refining 
in terms of percentages, what you know already? If I'm honest, so for the last year, you know, I had the fight for Von Lee, which got cancelled due to the medical stuff. So then I went straight back into fight camp to fight him five weeks later. Then I fought nine weeks later, so I had a week off straight back into fight camp. Then I had, I think, a two-week holiday and was then again straight back into fight camp. And for me, fight camp's not about evolving me as a martial artist. It's just about getting ready, you know. For me, a fight camp is I'm going to stay the same Nathaniel Wood there is, but I'm going to make sure that I'm 100%, you know. And now that I've actually had time to sit out and relax, you know, I can go away and learn new stuff. Um, but I would say the, the benefit that I had after each fight was my confidence just came up even more. You know, I fought against Von Lee, who's a UFC veteran, and in my eyes dismantled him. Then the second fight, you know, became world champion in the first round. And then obviously I had the other one. And it was after the Josh Reed one, I thought, right, you know, I do need to have a little break now, you know, have a bit of time off and a bit of rest, and uh, especially from dieting as well. Like a case of you listening to your body then, or... You know, like how you how you felt going into the fight. You're like, oh, maybe I might have trained too much, and then after you can think about, yeah, I probably did. Um, do you do you feel like now you understand your, like when your body's telling you like, bruv, you need to calm down a bit. You you hear it like a lot more now than before, or is it just still the same? You're still working that out. I think yeah, I, I feel my body more now, but a lot more is mental. You know, it can be mentally taxing, just constantly in fight camp, dieting, you know, obviously you have to sacrifice going out with your friends a lot and, you know, just sticking to like one meal a week with my girlfriend and family and whatnot. Um, so, you know, I did feel like I needed some time off and I've had, I think, four months out of camp. I've been to Thailand, I had Christmas off, you know, so I'm literally coming back now fresh and 100% ready to go. So. so you're back in action on March the 24th against Luca Ivine. Now, considering his unbeaten streak, we're talking about, what, eight wins in a row or something of that caliber. Um, what, if any, uh, challenges do you think that Luca has for you? Um, I, to be honest, I don't know much about him. I've looked at him. You know, I've seen that he's got a very good record. He's Italy's number one ranked bantamweight. But, you know, the guys he's fought are nowhere near the calibre of guys that I've fought. Um, you know, I think I looked at his record and there's two guys out of 12 wins that I think are credible opponents. So, you know, I think the pressure's on him. He's never fought anyone like me or as high a calibre. And uh, he's coming to hostile territory, you know. So I think he's already going to be crapping himself before he even gets in the cage. Um, but, you know, every fighter is always a test, you know. So I've got to make sure that I've got my, my A-game on the night. And if I have, which I will, you know, I think that I'm 100% going to get the first round TKO again. So happening in the same month is UFC London. After your last win, did you think that, you know, you might be in with a, a sort of chance to slip in on the card there? Because it was an incredible performance. It actually went viral. But more importantly, it showcased your resilience and your calibre as a fighter. Yes, you know, after that fight, I did think that I've, 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 done, I've done enough to uh, get on it because, you know, a lot of Cage Warriors champions go on to the UFC once they've won the belt and when it's in their home country, you know. So for me to be the first Cage Warriors London champ, for the UFC then to come London, you know, I was thinking that I might be on it. But if I'm honest, I'm really not bothered. I'm happy where I am and I'm just going to keep evolving as a fighter. So, you know, when I get to the UFC... I know I'm going to get there, so I'll just be even more ready and, you know, Cage Warriors can promote me even more. So when I get to the UFC, you know, the following's bigger with me already. Yeah, I think the fact that, uh, I think a lot of people can see that as well, rather than like 
just rush you in. You're still, what, 24, 25 now? Is it? You're still 24. So you still got a bit of time in terms of like proving to people like, yeah, trust me, I'm, I, I need to be in there. Um, and so like, do you have like a time frame on when you, you prefer to get like, okay, I don't want to go past 27 and they're still not calling me or whatever. Has that ever drifted through your mind or you just fl go with the flow? Yeah, I just go with the flow. You know, at the moment, I know that I'm ready to go in there and dismantle a lot of the UFC fighters in their bantamweight roster. Um, but for me, you know, I know that when you first get to the UFC, you're just a small fish in a big pond. And at the moment, you know, with how Cage Warriors are promoting me, you know, I'm, I'm loving that. So, you know, I'll just keep improving my name, get a bigger name. And when the UFC do come, you know, I'll be a bigger fish in a big pond. One thing I have to keep commending... Um cage warriors on is the fact that they do promote all of their fighters but one particular fighter is getting an awful lot of love and a lot of shine is Jack Shaw is this someone on your radar who um, I have to say maybe I've misinterpreted it because everybody you know listening would know that I like a bit of beef but it, it, it looks as though or it sounds as though he's got um, designs on your title yeah you know he actually called me out um, well actually no going back originally when I thought after fighting Josh Reed I wanted to go up to featherweight so I thought, you know, right, I'm going to call out Jack, Jack Shaw and, uh, to fight him at featherweight, so I'm going to have to keep cutting down. And uh, he actually called me out at bantamweight. Um, you know, he called me out very politely. You know, I couldn't reply with any sort of, you know, beef or anything because the way he done it, you know, was very polite and, you know, good on him. He wants to fight and he actually complimented me when doing it. Um, there's no really, like, I would say beef. And if I'm honest, I don't even know if anyone wants to see the fight. But I know a lot of his fans and a lot of his teammates want it. You know, everyone that I'm getting tweets saying Jack Shaw versus Nathaniel Wood, they're all Welsh guys. You know, they're all following him. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of them are saying give the fans what they want. But if the fans want that, you know, I said I welcome it. You know, I fight whoever Cage Warriors give me. But if I'm honest, you know, none of my friends have said, yeah, we want you to fight that Jack Shaw, you know. I mean, just on what he has to offer, he's on a meteoric tear right now, um, unbeaten. But I suppose one of the things which is kind of, how can I put it, um, something which stands out about Jack is that, like you say, he's very, very respectful in the way that he's conducted himself. And like I say, I was really trying to, I was struggling to see beef in that, but it would be a struggle to actually, you know, construe his words as beef. But yeah, he's definitely interested in, um, well, your position but let's just say given that he is going to be fighting one of your previous opponents given that um, his fight path does seem to be quite meteoric would you entertain a fight with Jack Shaw after you uh, are raising the, the belt aloft yeah, 100%. If Jack Shaw goes out there and puts away Von Lee, which I don't think he's going to, and, you know, obviously I put away this, the, the Luke Cole, however you say his name, you know, unless I'm on bigger things, you know, there's no reason why we can't get the fight on. Uh, if that's what Cage Warriors want, you know, I'm all for it. But it will happen in London. Ooh, what makes you say that? I'm the champ. You know, it stays in my hometown. <laughs> I like that talk, man. So, uh, since becoming the champ, because you know a lot of people talk about, yeah, you know, I know there's a target on my back and whatnot. Have Have you noticed that? Have you like obviously online? Uh, are there more fighters saying like, right, I want Nathaniel Wood now? Are, are you seeing that a lot more or no? Nah? 
yeah, I'm getting, I wouldn't say fighters themselves are calling me out. Um, if I'm honest, I don't think there's many that actually want it. But a lot of uh, fans or fighters, supporters, you know, are putting a lot of messages up saying who I should fight. You know, Jack Shaw is the main one. Um, but, you know, there's been some other names which I've never heard of. And, you know, I think I've actually had some guys I've never even had an MMA fight call me out. So I don't know where them ones have come from. But, you know, I, I like it. You know, it's all publicity. And, you know, I knew that once I win the belt, I'm at the top top of the tree you know so I've got that uh, target on my back and so um, you talking about uh, you, you know you said after that fight the last fight you were thinking about going to 145 was that mainly for the strap or was it just like ah, uh, you know I just don't want to cut weight again bit of both you know I don't uh, I don't like cutting down to bantam weight it is always very uh, it's boring and it's a bit of a pain in the ass you know and for me I'm quite confident to go to 145 um, also you know the champ Nad Naramani he fought I know when I fought Von Lee, April last year, hasn't even announced to have another fight. And if I'm honest, I think he's just sitting on the belt hoping that the UFC are going to come, which I can't see it ever happening. Um, so for me, you know, if I had it my way, Cage Warriors would vacate that belt. You know, me, Jack, me versus Jack Shaw at a featherweight. That would have been my ideal uh, fight, you know, and be the, the double champ. When you're saying you, don't, you can't see the UFC calling him, why is that? Is that his style or you, you're not impressed with him or what? I just think he hasn't done enough yet, you know, he won the cage with his belt, which was great, you know, the UFC could come call him, but how long are you going to wait? You know, it's been a year yet and you still haven't got another fight announced, so, you know, I don't know how long you can sit on a sit on a belt until you eventually become un unrelevant. Nathaniel, I, you know, final question for me, I've, I've watched you from the time when uh, you were semi-pro, and I have to say, there's been a maturation, there's been a definite change in the way that you have conducted yourself now to how I'm contrasting seeing you when you first came on the scene. How much of that is the level of opponents that you've been fighting and actually putting away, but how much of it is basically you are a world champion, so that obviously gives you some bigger stones. Yeah, of course, you know, and, and I think when you originally was interviewing me was six years ago on the uh, Fusion days. Um, but I think for me, you know, I've grown up a lot and it's who I'm training with. You know, I'm training with world-class fighters. I'm learning a lot from them and, you know, they're passing down all their knowledge onto me. Yeah, and I saw that, um, you know, in that obviously in the last fight, we were worried like, oh, is he, you know, is he out? But then you came back with that win and then seeing Brad come in, and you know, he picked you up, took you to the corner, he said whatever to you. What did that feel like knowing that, you know, you've done somebody like, that you look up to like that, so proud? What, what was that feeling like? Ah, it was an amazing feeling, you know. It made me a little bit, little bit teary when I first saw it. Yeah. But the tear up. It was, it was a good feeling to know that, you know, even when the going gets tough, the tough get going, you know. It was nice to actually be able to come away and say, yep, I got tested there and I came through it. Um, other than my my loss to Philpot, you know, I've never really had any trouble with any fighters. You know, a lot of people said that, um, I can't remember who it was, an interviewer said that I can't keep doing the fights I'm doing, I won't have a long career. I've never come out of a fight injured other than from where I've kicked a guy and, you know, come out of bruised shins, etc. I've always come out fresh as a daisy. So, you know, it was nice to actually go in there and earn my stripes, you know, get, get a, bit of a bit of a kick in for a bit and still come through with a win. I know I said it would be the last question for me, but I promise this is the last question. Um, your losses to people like Alan Philpott, to people like Ed Arthur, um, I don't want to put the cat amongst the pigeons, but I'm just calling it as I see it. I see now there's obviously been an evolution in terms of your skill, your calibre, and 
I personally think that your level's above them now. I mean, first of all, do you agree what I'm saying? I'm not just gassing you up just for the sake of gassing you up, but it's just the way I see it. But secondly, are those losses, considering where you are now, are, are those losses that you've let go, or would you like to avenge those losses, considering where you are now? Um, considering where I am now, you know, I've completely got, got over them now. You know, I know I've learned that MMA is literally a game of luck and who turns up on the night. You know, my losses, I can honestly say, I don't think I was out uh, talented. I don't think the guy dominated me. I just don't think I turn up, you know, and I feel that I've mastered that now. You know, I know that every time I fight, I've got to come in with my A game. Um, Phil Pot, I've actually done some training with now. You know, I get on with the guy. He's a nice guy, so we get on well. Um, Mike cut him fight. You know, I'm not even going to entertain that. And uh, as Ed Arthur, I'd love to have a rematch with Ed Arthur. But, you know, he's on, I think, a two, loss, uh, two losses on a row. And I'm on um, the Cage Warriors World Champions. So, you know, I would have loved if he won a few to then face him. You know, that would have been a good bit of fun. Nathaniel Wood, thank you so much for sparing, you know, uh, your precious time. Because I have, you know, having watched you today beasting people, it's obvious that, you know, where your mind's at right now. Good luck for the 24th when it actually rolls around. But more importantly, um, can you not, like, you know, have us with our hearts in our mouths this time? That would be fantastic. That would be absolutely amazing. Uh, to be fair, yeah, even like what you're saying about an interview, you're saying, oh, you can't keep doing that. In that fight, he got hit a couple times, but you covered up a lot. Like, you blocked a lot of shots. So I don't think it was as bad. It just looked bad because you're like, oh, like, you know, you don't see it like that often. But I don't think it was as bad as people were making out, you know? No, and as well, you know, you've got to put on exciting fights to stay relevant, you know, and, you know, if Cage Warriors did 50, 50 G bonuses, I think I would have got one. Yeah, I think you'd have got three by now, easily. <laughs> the last three fights, definitely. Man. Welcome back to the Wocast, the king, the current king of Wakanda, Dominic Wooding. Yes, come on, come on. The king, the king is here. <laughs> Looking good in the movie, bro, man. You got people all over the place representing Wakanda now. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Got to represent. Got to represent. And also got to represent on, on March 9th as well. I mean, speaking of which, it'll be good seeing you now that, uh, well, this is the second time in uh, the space of two months you're back on the uh, the WoCast. And um, it's uh, for good reason. March 9th, you'll be facing Danny Randolph. Just... Talk me through how that actually came about, because I know that you had quite a few in terms of opponents to actually choose from. Just talk me through how Danny Randolph, how we ended up with Danny Randolph. Um, basically, because obviously I got matched with someone else, and uh, obviously they turned me down. Who was that somebody else? Because um, from uh, I have to say, my uh, my wiretaps have revealed uh, this is a, a named person. Yeah, it was uh, Diego Barboza. He turned me down. Um, Tony Hall turned me down, and um, I got offered Ed Arthur as well, but I don't know what happened to that. I think he turned me down as, as well. So then, obviously, we ended up with uh, Danny Randolph from uh, Hammer Gym in, uh, in Liverpool. Do you know much about him? To be honest, when I got offered him, I haven't heard of him. I, I've never heard of him, but I know I know the gym that he comes from. He comes from Hammer Gym. I, I faced one of his teammates when I was an amateur uh, four years ago. I'm Conor Hignett, um, but yeah, when I when I got offered him, um, I've never heard of him. He's he's got a decent record. He's two and zero. So then I thought, oh, yeah, let me take it. Um, because I got offered, I got off. I had two options. I had either him or um, what's his name, um, Dominic Dillon. But obviously, he's coming off a loss. So I was like, nah, I want to fight someone on a win. So obviously, I, I picked uh, Danny Randolph. He's two and zero from Hammer Gym. So 
should be good fun. I mean, you've mentioned some huge names there, Barboza and uh, Arthur in particular do spring to mind. I mean, considering that, um, you know, we're, we're looking at some serious names here. I think I asked you this on the last uh, podcast, but particularly about these two names. I mean, Arthur, considering his calibre, considering the fact that he's been on Bama before, considering the fact that, you know, he's got this persona of never back down or I'll accept every single fight, that's obviously going to be a stylistically good matchup, which this would actually present. Why do you think that was actually turned down? Well, I can, to be honest, I can understand why he turned it down because obviously he's coming from uh, ACB, coming off a tough loss. So obviously I'm sure he wants to get back on the wing column and obviously I'm not easy fight for no one. So obviously I could understand him not taking a fight but it is what it is. I'm, I'm, matched, I'm matched now so it's all good. So I get to showcase my skills on March 9th so it's all good man. Is it frustrating isn't it, uh, to a certain extent that you know when it looks like yeah okay this is what's happening and then next minute they're like nah 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 I don't want to do it. And obviously for you, like you said before, you want to just build up your record. You want to get as many wins as you can. But then it's someone else kind of backing out and now you might have to wait a bit longer or you've got to think like, okay, damn, I was about to get ready for this. Now what do I do? Is that quite frustrating? Well, to be honest, to be honest, like all those names that I've mentioned, they all came like, they all came like all at once kind of thing. It was kind of like an option kind of thing. So obviously it wasn't like, like um, I got one guy, and then after he like pulls out or says oh, I don't want to fight you, it, all the names came up at once. So I was like, I said to my manager, listen, I'll fight any of them. I'll fight any of them. I'm open to fighting any of them. To be honest, you know what I'm saying? Because obviously, this is the fight game, man. You got if you want to get up there, you got you you you, you got you got to have good fights. You got you got you got to fight good guys, have good fights, and uh, obviously, like when it when the names got presented to me, I said I'd fight any of them. I'm I'm, I'm open to fighting any of them, but obviously. Obviously, it didn't obviously go my way fighting all of them. So obviously, they offered me Danny Randolph. So I took him. Like, is there when you? Because so, it sounds like they just like here. Here's a bunch of names. Pour these names out of a hat, and you're just looking like, yeah, 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 whatever. Or do you actually have a look at? Let me see what this fight is. You know, where he fights out of, what his style is first, or whatever. Or are you blindly just like, yeah, whichever one? To be honest, like, you see, when fighters when they act like they don't know a fighter. Listen, I know all of them. But to be honest, I didn't know Danny Randolph, to be honest. I, did, I didn't know Danny Randolph, but I know Diego Barbosa, I know Tony Hall, I know uh, Eddie Arthur. I know, how they, I know how they all fight because I've seen them fight, live or on YouTube or, or, or whatnot. So um, it was just one of them ones. Oh, they, they, they gave me a name. I was like, yeah, yeah I'll fight him. So basically, any, you, so you're on it like um, anyone within your, in your weight class, you've got an eye on them because there's a possibility that you could be matched up with them, yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. In a way, because of course you got you got you got to be watching you got to be watching your future opponents and top contenders in the division. Like you can't just you can't just sit there and like not watch and just take and and take whatever like fighting bums and stuff like that. So obviously, I'm always watching. I'm always keeping the, the division on notice. So I'm always watching. So. Is what it is, isn't it? I'm picturing the panther, you know what I mean? You know when there's a high grass, it's like six foot high. You see the panther there just watching like, oh, okay, I'll pray. <laughs> just proudly, boy. And come on, man. Seeking that prey, man. Come on. And speaking of seeking that prey, you've obviously got your eyes firmly fixed on the belt. Realistically, how many more fights do you feel you need to kind of get out of the way before you're back in 
title contention what would you say you're in title contention now considering you know first of all the caliber of uh, where you're at right now but secondly you know how you put away your last opponent well obviously I'm coming off a very big win in, in Blaine Driscoll and he was top guy in the division um, with this one with an impressive finish I reckon I'll fight for the title next wow you can't deny it you can't deny it listen it's going to be this is Bama London I'm here to impress March 9th man believe me and speaking of Bama London, speaking of the card, uh, one of uh, your coaches, uh, Brad Pickett, had a bit of a, how can I put it, tete-a-tete -tete or a little bit of a kind of like online beef with, uh, well, part of the headline act, and that is um, Alex Lahore. I mean, what was your own whole take on that, seeing that go down and end with uh, Brad Pickett basically asking... Uh, Alex Lahore, if he wanted to come down to Titan to uh, address the issue in person with some gloves. I don't know about this, so you need to break down. And for the listeners that don't know, what, how did it start? Did you ask Nathaniel this? Did you ask I didn't ask Nathaniel. I have to say, it only came to mind because I can see uh, Brad furiously sparring <laughs> behind me. And it looks like he's getting ready for some kind of title fight. You know what? They've been going at it on uh, social media for the last couple of weeks. Um, to be honest, I'm not even too sure. From what I saw, it looked as though um, it stemmed from an interview that Brad did with. Ah, uh, oh, here he, here he, here he comes now. I think, uh, I think we might be, uh, we, we might be hearing from the man himself. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm sure Brad is going to actually finesse this. He's going to actually uh, give us the fine details. But what it looked like, it was a video interview where Brad actually offered his opinion on where he thought the Lahore versus Brazier fight would actually, uh, what would actually happen. So it stemmed from that. Lahore took exception to that. And basically it started um, an online back and forth on Twitter, which ended in, well, Brad basically inviting Alex Lahore down to Titan to uh, to settle matters. Yeah, like um, yeah, I saw a bit of the beef on uh, Twitter. And, like to be honest, like I'm not even just saying this because Brad's my coach or whatever. Like as a UK MMA fighter, you gotta respect guys like Brad because obviously they paved the way for the guys in the UK MMA scene. Guys like him, Jimmy Bisping, Dan Hardy, guys like that. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pay your respects and um, from what I saw on Twitter certain things that Alex Law said obviously I don't agree with but uh, it is what it is isn't it you know what I'm saying he's, he's obviously trying to make a name for himself I can understand that it's all business he's trying to make a name for himself obviously Brad Brad's a, a UFC vet so obviously you're gonna just you're gonna try and grab onto anything where you can get your name spoken about highly you know what I'm saying so obviously I can understand where, where he's going but Certain things that he said about Brad, obviously I don't agree with, but you know Alex Lahore's he's himself, you know what I'm saying. So obviously that's between them two. But um, in terms of like coming down the gym and stuff, nah, that's that's not gonna happen, man. You know what I'm saying? That, that's not gonna happen. It's just it's just you know what Alex Lahore's trying to do. He's just obviously trying to make a name for himself. I can understand that, which he is doing anyway. And that's and that's what it is. You know what I'm saying? That's what it is. That's all I got to say about it. And just on your opinion in terms of the title fight itself, I mean, um, I, I get the gist that there is some affiliation with Terry Brazier, but how do you actually see that going down? How do you see that transpiring? 
who's going to be the victor, who's going to be, of the two champions, who's going to be the champion of champions. To be honest, because obviously Lalix, oh, he's on a roll right now, so he's, he's doing well for himself, so... It's, it's a tough fight, but I do think, I think Alex pulls it off. I think Alex pulls it off, because obviously he's on a roll. I, I can see Terry Brazier is on a roll, but obviously Alex is more on a more on a roll than um, Terry Brazier. I can see. So I think um, I think uh, Alex does the job. Wait. So what? Therefore, this is a champ versus champ fight. Yeah. What is it? Lightweight versus uh, welterweight versus welterweight. World champion. Yeah. Oh, and one's a local champion, another one's a world champion. Is that? Because because they because they, they got. Yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit funny. Um, they got two belts in it in each weight division. So like, because obviously now they're not Lonzo anymore. Well, they had Lonzo title and the world title. So obviously now I think they're going to change it to RDX now because obviously their main sponsor is RDX now. So I think it's the RDX title and the what weight world champion. So. So it feels like Bama are like now they're they're pretty consistent. You know, like there there seems to be um, cards quite a lot more often than they used to be. Um, as a fighter for Bama, have you noticed the difference in terms of like them, you know, like you said, you, you got thrown a bunch of names to pick over who you want to fight. Does it feel like now they're, they're really on a roll in terms of what they're doing and the future's looking more brighter for 2018? Mm, yeah, I think so, yeah. Like now they're putting on more cars, they're getting more, more prospects and more up and coming stars, which is a good thing. Plus they signed a new TV deal with uh, ITV, which is good, which is more exposure for all of us. I wish I wish they could get all of our, I wish they can get all the fights on the on the ITV, but obviously that ain't possible. I hope they can get me on the ITV slot as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 good for the company. It's good for the company. It's good. For the does it? Um, and obviously getting onto ITV, which is a big thing. We were talking about that earlier. Does that mean now that you it's easier for you to look for sponsors that and you can be like, look, potentially on ITV. You know what I mean? Obviously, yeah, it's not nothing signed to say that, but you can still use that, you know, as your hustle. Yeah, yeah, I can still use that as a hustle, but getting sponsors is not—it's not—it's not as easy as 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 you think or as it looks. Like it's not—it's not easy. Even though I'm fighting on ITV or whatnot, you still have to go through some stuff, and sometimes sometimes deals fall off and stuff like that. So obviously, it is what it is. Like for example, Bama's Bama's sponsored by RDX. RDX is meant to send me some stuff. I ain't even—I ain't even got the stuff yet. You know what I'm saying? So I'm still waiting, kind of thing. So it is what it is, but um. In terms of getting sponsorship with fights like this, obviously you, you get them, but it's not easy. Are you willing to do, because it feels like, you, you know, as a fighter, in order to get that sort of stuff, you've got to do a bit more, like what I'm talking about in terms of the hustle. So, in you know, you're quite active uh, with your Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and whatnot. And are you willing to kind of go the extra route in terms of, like, okay, if I have to do a video every week that's promoting blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. Are you willing to do it or are you not that bothered about it? I am willing to do it, but I'm not. I'm not here chasing sponsors. You know what I'm saying? They most of the time they come to me. To be honest, like I'm not chasing anyone. You know what I'm saying? Because obviously my work does the talking for me. So obviously I, I do get people messaging me wanting to sponsor me and stuff like that. But sometimes they want to sponsor you, but you don't hear from them. You don't hear from them a few weeks. A few weeks later, you know what I'm saying? So obviously that's what I was saying. Getting sponsorship is not that easy because obviously sometimes you're talking with sponsorship. Sponsor trying to get sponsorship deals and after and after the talks break because because they, they end up vanishing and and, and 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 not getting back to you about sponsoring sponsoring you 
I think like the, and the reason why I'm asking that because I, now I think especially with Cage Warriors, um, you know, on uh, they're on BT Sport and they're on Fight Pass, then Bama now with this new deal, I think things are going to change in terms of like the sponsors feeling like okay, I can see where this is going. Whereas before they probably weren't as sure because the you know local scene wasn't as televised as it as it seems to be now. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. Like obviously, yeah, it'll help with the sponsorship and stuff like that, but. Um, Shouts to my sponsors anyway, Saigon Sports Club, uh, Adams Barbers, uh, Berologic Recruitment, uh, obviously my management, LEMA Agency, they all help me out. Anyway, especially uh, Saigon Sports Club in uh, Vietnam, that's one of my, one of my um, sponsorships out in Vietnam, they help me out a lot. So anyone who does want to sponsor you, how do they get in contact or who should they contact? I'm here, I'm on, I'm on social media. Um, at, uh, at the real D Wooden, I'm on I'm on I'm on Gmail Dominic Wooden one at gmail.com and stuff like that. So obviously I'm 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 open. I'm here. I'm on all my socials: Facebook, um, uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram. All the same all the same uh, handles at the real D Wooden. No, sorry, not at the real D. At re real D Wooden. That's it. Yeah. Tremendous. <laughs> a pleasure as always having you on Dominic Wooding I have to say March 9th can't come around uh, quick enough this is going to be uh, obviously something to behold the King of Wakanda back in action well, World TV got to be there live bruv so when you hear the voice of Chocolate Velvet Cake screaming your name <laughs> come on get ready get ready man Black Panther coming to an arena near you it's a pleasure to welcome the legend the man the myth Brad Pickett. Brad, I have to say, one of the burning questions of the moment for me right now, so many months removed from the UFC, is there any burning desire for you to actually stay active in the way that on a minute's notice you could be back there? Because I have to say, having watched you now, what, for the last hour and a half, you look fight ready. No, no I'm far from fight ready with my, my calibre, you know, like um, obviously my mind will never stop wanting to compete. I, I mean, I wish I could turn back time and start my career again. You know, I'd love it. You know, uh, that's the worst thing about everyone. You know, you're always going to get old. You know, that's, that catches up with everyone. So, and it is a sport where it, it does affect your body over years of training and training. And also, when you get old, you, your 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 reflexes give it. I just know I wasn't as good as I used to be, you know, and that for me as a person with a lot of pride, I didn't, I didn't really, I don't really like my feeling like that, you know. But having looked, as I say, for the last hour and a half, um, is there a reason why you're keeping so sharp? Is it to be the beacon in the gym or is it because somewhere in the back of your mind, could you actually come back? No, no, that's not. I'm, for me now, I've had my time, you know. I've had my limelight. I've been there, done that, you know. Uh, the only, I mean, I'll be honest with you, the only reason I would ever will come back if I just wanted a massive paycheck. And it'd have to be something worth me coming back for. And that would be, I'd be honest, that's the only reason. Uh, for me now, it is onto the younger fighters now. I've had, like I say, I've had my time. It's for me now to try and help them have their time, you know. Uh, being being a fighter and stuff is a very selfish sport when you're a fighter. But when you're a coach, you have to be selfless, you know, and put a lot of time into the fighters, you know, and help them out as much as you can, you know. Uh, and that's what I'm doing now. We have a lot of really good young talent, you know, uh, in the gym, and I, I just try and help them as much as I can.
I think um, we can definitely see that, and especially in um, Nate's last fight. Uh, you know, I was t talking to him about seeing how happy you were. You know, we thought, ah, is he going to get knocked out here? But then he just came back and got that win. So I see you just pick him up, take him to the corner and said whatever you said to him. Um, what does it feel like, man? Uh, like seeing this kid come up, um, becoming who he's becoming right now and knowing that, you know, you're a big part of that happening. How does that feel? Well, as I was saying, I'm not, I'm not just a coach. These guys I train with have been training partners for years, so we beat the crap out of each other. So you film like you form a really strong bond with these, with these guys. And also being a fighter myself, I know how much winning and losing means to individual fighters. You know, so like a couple of good fights of mine. So you're obviously Nathaniel, she saw how emotional I was because that's. That's how much it feels for me for him to win, because I know how much that means to him to win. And you saw the same with, with, with Dom when he fought in Bama, you know. He, he had to overcome a lot of, you know, difficulty. You know, he won the first round, second round, he just took a round off. And in the third round, he needed to wake back up. And, you know, like, he did. And, and he came back and won. And he, and for me, I was really excited about that as well. So, like I say, because I just know how much it means to these fighters and how much sacrifice these guys put in to get there so I know how much it means to them and obviously me being a coach and being a part of it it means a lot to me as well and like I say I, I may not be competing now as a fighter but I'm competing as a coach through my fighters you know now, now for me I want them to win it's, it's good for me for them to win it's good for the gym you know and it's good for them it's good for everybody so so that's where my competitive streak is now going into my coaching. A while back, you and I were speaking about Bradisms, and it was in another context. Bradisms basically are words which Brad makes up. Bradisms now, in 2018, means a completely different thing to me, to be honest with you. And I just wanted to explore whether it means anything to you. Because I see a lot of you in people like Nathaniel Wood, in people like Dominic Wooding, there are bradisms in the way that they move, there are bradisms in the way that they express resilience, there is, well there are bradisms in the way that they express themselves as mixed martial artists, is that something that you're actually actively spreading or is it something which is subconsciously um, actually spread through to your fighters? Well, well I, honestly, you look at someone like Dom and like Nathaniel, honestly, I, technically they're completely different to me as a fighter. I was a button your mouthpiece guy, go forward, just throw bombs. You saw a little bit of that in Nathaniel's last fight, obviously, but it wasn't so much of the technical aspects, it was more the characteristics of like surviving and stuff like that. And if I could pass that knowledge and experience on with technique, great, because these guys now, they have so much technique, but sometimes it's not about, you only, your brain can only process so many moves within a fight, you know, so sometimes it's just, uh, methods of what you should and shouldn't do and I've, obviously I've had a lot of cases I'm a lot of experiences a lot of these things I could pass on to these younger guys and I, I mean I'll, I'll never try and change Dom's style you know he's very flamboyant and very good very, you know uh, but it's completely different style to what I was as a fighter you know I'm a hand I, me I say my hands were up I was a bit more of a like Mike, Mike Tyson and Dom is a very position kind of counter striker very, you know very good with his hands very good boxing uh, but things I could well, I have been trying to help him out. It's just, just mindsets within a fight, you know. Because I, I obviously always say, or been saying it for a long time, I, I think the mind is the strongest tool you could ever have going into a fight, you know. And you see someone like Conor McGregor as one of the strongest minds within the game. If you have a really strong mind and skills, you'll be a world champion, you know. So, like, some people have no skills and have a strong mind and do really well. Look at someone like Artur Volobov. <laughs> He's technically terrible. But, but... 
he's got a really strong mind and, and he's going forward, you know? So like, it, it, I mean, the mind, and I, I, I go with myself with that. I had a very strong mind when I was fighting, you know? So like that helped me out. I wasn't the most skillful guy in the gym at all, but I was a very strong fighter. You know, I had a good mindset on how to win fights. One of the things which I have to say caught my attention um, of late um, is your fighting spirit. So much so that it kind of like uh, spilled out online. I, I think it was kind of like drawn out of you, that you didn't seem to be the instigator. It was basically, um, if you could set the context for us, because a lot of us, like myself, came in in the middle of the back and forth with you and Alex Lahore. Just explain to us, first of all, how that whole situation came about. But more importantly, you know, um, how it kind of like got bedded down and how it got concluded. To be honest, it's weird. I will, but I don't really want to be talking about it. But reason being is because he, I, I know this is what he wants. He wants to use what I've done to help progress him, if that makes sense. Like, cause some limelight, you know. And this is only me. A lot of fighters cause a lot of limelight in a lot of different ways. Some people do it through their fighting and stuff like that. And I think Alex Law, as a fighter, is, is a good fighter. But... He has, a, in my eyes, he has a terrible attitude, you know. You have to know that you're going somewhere wrong in life when you have more enemies than friends. You know, you, I mean, like, you, you are doing something wrong, right? Uh, and how he just started is I got asked uh, um, an in, by an interview about, uh, uh, about him. And so they're saying, oh, do you think Alex should be, should be defending his belt against... Um, Terry Brazier. Yeah, against Terry, you know, and 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 what do I feel about him dodging him? And I, I, I to be honest, I was non-wise of the whole situation. But for me, being very diplomatic that I am, I was just saying, look, for me, uh, I don't know much about the situation, but for me, a fighter, a champion, should fight anyone, you know, because that's what a champion should be like, you know, that that's what champions do. They they just fight the next contender or whatever, like. And uh, I mean, that's what I said. And then I just put a reference to Nathaniel Wood because I said to Nathaniel Wood, he's a cage world champion. He would fight anybody because if he's not prepared to fight anybody because he wants to go on to the, get into the UFC, if he's not prepared to fight anyone outside of the UFC, he doesn't belong getting to the UFC, if that makes sense. So that's all I was saying. And then Alex Hall saw the interview and just, I don't even know how he took it out of context. He thought I was bad-mouthing him, but I wasn't. I was being very diplomatic. And he just like saying, I might like, punch drunk, and, and he was like going on about, I mean, I can't remember the whole thing. He just like being very disrespectful. Right? And for me, like I say, I, I've had over 40 fights. I've never ever hated anyone I fought, fought, or I've never really had any bad mouth towards anyone, any of my guys, you know? Because I'm, I'm a fighter, right? I don't fight out of anger and stuff like that. I, I, I always say this, I, I never fought because I hated what was in front of me. I fought because I loved what was behind me, my, my friends, my family, and all that sort of stuff. So, with, with, with the whole how he was going, I mean, it was weird. I, mean, I found it very disrespectful. I, and I never had that kind of like new age internet beef because it's not like me, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like normally quite methodical with how I chat and stuff like that. I don't really get on I'm very, I, I, I think before I talk. Which I don't think Alex Law does, you know. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I don't want to get even more harsh. He's not, I, honestly, I don't think he's that bright. And he's got, no, and, and, and he does have a lot of people around him to, to what I'd say is guide him. Like, for me, I've got guys around here and I could guide them with how they should act. I don't think he has anyone who, who could guide him or people who are trying to guide him or can't control him. You know, he, for me, he's just, 
You're saying, I've ever been a champion, I've never been a champion. Mate, of course I have. I just don't walk around Tesco's with my belt like he does, you know? Like, you know, like, so, if, I mean, like, not that I wasn't proud of being a champion. Yeah, I was a UCMA champion like he was. He, he carries his belt everywhere with him. I, I was a cage warrior champion, uh, cage race champion. I don't, I mean, I don't, for me, my, my height of my life, it's not all my belts, it's being ranked number five in the world. I like to see him get anywhere near that, you know? Like, that's my that's my highlights fighting the UFC. Uh, like, I'm not saying he can't get to UFC, but if his attitude stinks, I doubt he will. You know, like you need friends on the way up. You need friends on your way down. Like I say he doesn't have many friends. You know, uh, just why his antics? He, he's creating way too many enemies. Uh, and uh, I, and for me, honestly, I'm giving too much even time of my day chatting about him. You know, he's for me, it's just a waste of space. I mean, just how it all concluded with uh, an invitation, a very stern invitation to come down to Titan. First of all, has he honoured the invitation? And uh, secondly, I mean, how seriously were you about that? Um, I, I said to him, come down. Uh, but I said to him also, if you come down, we're not sparring, we're fighting. There's a big difference between sparring and fighting. Uh, no, he never came down. I, 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 I don't know if you know about the altercation that happened at the weekend. Uh, he was at UCMMA, so was I. Uh, I went up to him and I approached him uh, and uh, and got split up and all that sort of stuff and uh, and he's even written on oh, <laughs> he's written on his Facebook page. Someone messaged me and said, "Look at this." He went on his Facebook page saying oh, about the uh, I, people may have heard about the altercation me and me and uh, Brad had, you know, blah 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 and this like that. Um, and he said um, something like. Oh, you can see that none of his corner guys or his friends like him because no one tried to stop him from hitting me. And I was like, no one stopped me from trying to hit you because they don't like you. You know, that's the whole thing. They want me to hit you. It's not because they don't like me. Right? And like I said, I threw a punch. I got stopped. He didn't throw anything back. You know, so that's me. i done what I said I was going to do. And he... And he, he me, I'm done. I'm done with him. He, I, for me, I say I, he's not worth my time. You know, like, you know, I was a man of my word. I'm gonna say I wanted to fight. You know, I'm not saying he's. I'm not saying he, for one minute he's scared of me or anything like that. But he got under my skin, and I wanted to fight. And I tried to throw a punch at him. If someone threw a punch at me, I'd be fighting them. And that's what I did. He didn't do nothing. And he was saying he's got. Ah, oh, got you guys are dying to see the footage. I don't know if anyone filmed it. Please put it online because all you see is me trying to get at him. At him. Me getting pulled off him and me trying to punch him and that's it, you know, so But like I say, I don't want to give him any more Airtime if that makes sense like I'm done. I'm done and done with this whole thing and like I, I mean I hope Terry Brazier just beats the shit out of him and humbles him a little bit, you know <laughs> all right, Just to all right, flip it and leave it on a positive what advice would you give for him because you're saying you don't think any of these friends are really Helping him out in the right way if you, you know if it was a possibility that you were friends obviously you're not but what advice would you give him as an older fighter that's been through it all and you know seeing his mistakes? Treat people how you'd like to be treated. You know, it's just simple. It's not even like a fighting thing. It's just general life. You know, like you know, if I walked up to someone, he's like, right now you're giving me an interview. If I just looked at you and slapped you in the face, how are you going to feel about that? I'd be a little bit KO'd and a little yeah, bit stunned. Yeah, but you mean, I mean, it means so you obviously understand. You, got, you know, I wouldn't like if you did it to me either. So like, you don't, you got to treat people how you want to be treated, and, and like you got. You gotta realize you need friends within life to get you places. You know, like I, I'm not. He's not friends. With, I'm not friends with him. But someone like I have a lot of connections. I could help people. I'm such a helpful person. If you are a Brad, oh, blah blah blah, can you this? Can you ask fucking Dana this? Okay, cool. I have his number. I'll call him. You know. So like, 
I'm connected and I can help people out and I'm a very nice guy. So like I say, you need people like me uh, on your side. You know, but someone like that, I'm like, mate, do one. I'd, I'd rather help other people out, you know. So like, that's what I'm just saying. So for me, I done, I done nothing wrong. And I just expect, it, you know, I'm one of those ones. If he just apologised to me, he'd been squashed. You know, I'm one of those people as well. And like, he got, I mean, he blew it way out of proportion now, you know. Like, he's, he didn't, oh, mate, you see, I'm just getting angry and thinking about it, you know. It's like, mate, the guy just does not how to live. Like my said, let's end this on the positive and uh, I want you to give us a heads up and an exclusive here. Look, you've got some serious guys that you're looking after now. Dominic Wooding. You've got Nathaniel um, as well. And I was, I have to say, a little bit shocked that he wasn't actually called up for the UFC London card. I have to say, I was genuinely surprised. Brad, how soon or how long do we have to wait until we see him make that UFC walk? This year, I believe he'll be in the UFC. I mean, I can't say when, but uh, but all he needs to do is concentrate and focus on his next uh, opponent and just do what he's doing. If he keeps doing what he's doing, <laughs> he's like he's there. You know, he, he he's there. So he just needs to. At the moment, now his biggest obstacle is his next opponent, and that's it. You know, that's all he's got to concentrate. On. You, you don't want to look past anybody in this sport whatsoever. So you know, I I think he just needs to concentrate on this sport. Get a good win like he has done and he'll be there this year yeah i think to be fair because both the fights are quite they're in the same month so there's probably a bit of a clash there where they're like okay we can't we probably can't make this happen it's a title fight for our cage warriors as well so they it might be a bit messy cancelling that and whatnot but what, one thing i'm interested in because mike was um asking nathaniel earlier about this obviously due to his last fight having to face that type of adversity adversity is like your middle name you know but now that you're a coach um I want to want to know, like, has your attitude changed in terms of, like, you know, corners thrown in the towel? We found out that you can't really do that. Um, I could, you know, I'm probably, I know what your answer would be when you were a fighter, but has that changed at all now that you're a coach? And in what way, if, if at all? Um, I, I mean, obviously, you see a lot of what's going on now because obviously the, 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 the fight at the weekend, um, not the weekend, the weekend before, wasn't it, with... Um, uh, where Mario Yamazaki and those the, the, the two girls were fighting each other, yeah. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko versus Brazilian girl. Yeah, because, yeah, for me, at the end of the day, it's the referee's job first and foremost. But also, sometimes you're right, you do need a coach to save you from this. And, and like, back obviously when I was fighting sometimes the coaches around there haven't been around the game so long so to know uh, when someone's in complete danger or someone's gonna you have a quite good idea and you know your fighters sometimes if some some fighter has a one punch KO power in his hand you probably let him go as long as you want because you know he's always he's always dangerous someone like a Jeremy Stephen no matter how much he's getting beaten up you know that he has that power to put someone out so you it's always one of those ones but if you've got someone who's just getting battered everywhere and I, you don't see me yeah I, I think it is in in the um corner's interest that the photo telling you you saw one not too long ago where the, the um i can't remember who it was went back to his corner and he, he and he said i've done i'm done i think i've done everything and and the corner just said look it's off the corner just pulled him out and, and the doctor said you sure it's your call and he went yeah cool so i can't remember which fight that was but um the, the, yeah, the corner did call it off. The corner said, like, oh, "If you've got nothing left, we're done." You know, I think it was Patrick Cote versus someone. Um, 
But, uh, um, yeah, so I think coaches know the fighters more than anybody, you know, as well. But then that's also why you have the referees there to, I like say, as a fighter, I'd be like, no, no, don't, never. I mean, like, even my last fight, you know, like, everyone saw my last fight. I was winning the whole fight, you know, two and a half rounds. And at the last minute, I got kicked in the head. And, and I, again, to my eyes, I was fine. And I would have survived that. And I believe I would have won my fight. But Grant Walkman stepped in. He has a job to do, you know. But I think also, I think it's the jo referee's jobs to know individual fighters as well, to know what they have. And, like, I've been dropped a lot in a lot of my fights and come back. You know, it's not, it's not great. Great, you know, great thing to have, you know, but it's good to have that resilience sometimes and be able to turn things around. You see it so many times, so many people have that, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough one because as a fighter, you never want it to stop, but as a coach, it's, it is it's a real tricky situation, you know. But I guess it's up to the f coaches can like to know their fighters very well. Yeah, I think that's probably the bottom line is the fact that if you know your fighter, if you're like, okay, he's been clipped, like, say, Nathaniel, for instance. You know, the thing is, I don't think he ever hit the ground, did he? So he was still there. Yeah, and he, that's exactly it. He was blocking a lot. So at the same time, you could be like, okay, no, nah, just wait and see, wait and see. And then look, the, the outcome um, was evident as well. So I think that's a big part. And like you're saying, obviously, um, the, the um, refs, need, I think it helps when the refs know the fighters as well. Like we've say, like Mark Goddard, with certain fighters, you could tell he knows that this guy can take a punch. So yeah, he may have dropped, but his head didn't hit, he didn't bounce, or you know, his hands are out catching in. Like, I mean, like every time a referee came to me before any of my fights, I always said to him, "Look, you know, I'm a tough SOB. You know, like <laughs> give me every opportunity to get out of everything. Give me, give me some. Uh, just tell me. And if you see me moving, don't stop the fight. You know, if I if I'm not moving, then stop it. I understand." But, and that was the thing like with uh, Grant Waterman, he felt bad because I said that to him before and like if you see the fight, yes, I was clearly rocked, you know, but you see me at the end, I was kicked him away. So to kick someone away, I'm there, you know, so that, that's why I was a little bit, ah, oh, mate, and he, he felt bad, but I know Grant very well, you know, so, like, you know, if anything, he maybe was a bit most, too emotionally invested in that fight. Yeah. Brad Pickett. I have to say, always an honour and a pleasure to have you on the WOCast. Congratulations on uh, what does look like it's going to be a spectacular coaching career for you, but also on the talent that you're actually nurturing right now. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, man. Good to see you again, brother. That about wraps up this episode of the WOCast. I've been Michael Morgan. And I've been Mike Diggy. Until next time, make some trouble. Mother lovers. Thank you.